Hi, Thomanics. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have an amazing guest for you. We have Bijan Tong. Bijan is an award-winning writer, director, and producer known for the film The Escort. Bijan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, Pleasure to be here. I've always enjoyed the show, listening to it. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Bijan, where are you tuning in live with me today from? Uh, I'm actually currently in Hong Kong, <laughs> developing some projects here. <laughs> so you were in the Far East, Hong Kong. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's incredible. So how is like the weather there right now? Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, I keep thinking it's uh, it's evening where you are here. It's uh, the day has just started. Um, it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, when it is almost every day. Oh, beautiful. So it's the morning there for you, right? Uh, yeah. It's the yeah, morning. Yeah, see. Yeah, it's still early morning. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's 7 p.m. in L.A. So well, we're so happy to have you on the show, Bijan. And I want to ask you, growing up, did you have a favorite childhood film that you just loved? I did. Uh, it's actually the movie that got me into movies. Uh, so it was actually Terminator 2, so not quite a family-friendly film. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> watching that movie for the first time and realizing that you're only limited by your imagination, uh, it just blew my mind. And the relationship between a robot and a boy, um, as a child watching it, it was really touching. So that film was, to me, the moment I decided I wanted to be like that, like Cameron, and uh, and tell stories on my own from the screen. Can you repeat the name of the movie? I want to make sure the audience heard your favorite film. Oh, my favorite childhood movie, uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Oh, Terminator 2. Terminator yeah. 2. Oh, okay, great. Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yeah. Yeah. So A masterpiece still. Yeah, so it really affected you seeing that relationship between that robot and a boy, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, because you've got that line towards the end uh, where Schwarzenegger says, um, I know now why you cry, but it is something I can never do. Uh, and it was genuinely heart, heart-wrenching to hear it as a child. And I think it was just uh, on all levels a masterpiece uh, as a drama from an emotional level between that relationship as an action film, a sci-fi it's a, it's a classic movie that holds up still today. Ah, well, <laughs> well, um, the kid version is Pedro and the Robot on <laughs> Enchanting Book Reading. <laughs> if you want to check out Enchanting Book Reading, Pedro and the Robot, I have a kid-friendly one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, but amazing film, like robots, and especially we're coming into, like, the Jetson age. I mean, we're there. Like, um, oh, we've reached it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like... Um, you know, flying cars pretty soon. I mean, we got flying drones, are you right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, we're very much uh, reaching that whole cyberdyne systems uh, reality of today. Fortunately, no uh, robot revolution, um, but still, uh, we're definitely much closer to that reality. Oh, wow. Hey, do you guys have those big dogs walking around, those big robot dogs? We always see things like, you know, in the news, like all these robotic things. Do y'all have any robotics walking the streets? <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> Probably more in Japan. But with that said, um, I've been visiting some places in Hong Kong, like Science Park and so on, and Cyberport. And there's, the technology there is incredible. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we had that there. 
Okay. <laughs> Somebody yeah. walking their pet robot dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, um, so that's one of the films that inspired you, but did you also have perhaps maybe a Criterion movie or a master filmmaker film that just blew your mind and said, this is what I have to do for my career? Uh, yeah, um, it was actually a David Lynch film, A Razorhead. Uh, so that for me was one of the, I mean, it's, it's a, an auteur movie in terms of you can see it's very much, this is his style, this is his film, this is a personal journey for him as a father. Uh, it's absolutely terrific. However, rather than gush about something that I think every film fan should watch, I will instead talk about the Criterion movie, which few people mention, The Rock. It's just a classic Michael Bay film. And I feel that it deserves respect that it doesn't quite get because uh, when you think of Bay, you think of Transformers, you think of, uh, you know, Big Bang action, his period of Jay Brockheimer and so on. But Rock is a genuinely solid film. I mean, you have Sean Connery at the top of his game. You've got Nick Cage in his first action role. Um, you've got a villain, Ed Harris, a general who's actually a multifaceted character. He's not one of those deranged, lunatic, evil, villain, madman. He actually has a reason for his actions and he's quite sympathetic. And then you have a who's who cast uh, in the supporting roles, uh, like John C. McGinley and, uh, and Michael Bean um, and William Forsythe and so on. Uh, so I think it's, there's a reason why The Rock is on the Criterion Collection and it deserves to be on there. Oh, and I love how you explained it too. Like, you know, how you said the villain is just not just a sake to just be like, Oh, he's, I want $1 billion, like the Austin Powers, which is fun. But there's a reason yeah. why he's there in all this incredible cast. So yeah, that's, that's one that like probably not comes up for a lot of people. So thank you for sharing that because our audience loves discovering films that they haven't, you know, heard of or probably things um, that suggestions that they should uh, look into, especially if they're going to be um, a filmmaker and go into, um, the business it's really good to study and learn from the master creators and you know michael bay has a tremendous career i mean like if you wanted to like direct an action film they go what are your credits i mean it, it you have to have you know you can't even get to do those unless you're good you know what i mean oh absolutely i know as a visual filmmaker he's astounding and he even he has his adverts he has an advert promoting abu dhabi uh i believe and it was it's one of those adverts that you you always stop to watch uh, and even his non-action films um so one of one of my favorite base films is actually a movie called pain and gain a true story about uh, these bodybuilders who kidnap someone uh with mark Wahlberg, drain johnson again ed harris uh, tony shalhoub ken young it's uh it's got a great cast but um it's it, it only fits michael bay's style in terms of the film is the story the true story uh, which i think was reported in the miami herald um it's it's genuinely bizarre and berserk, um, and you need a director who can who can bring out that madness, that insanity, while also hitting the emotional beats. And Bay does that tremendously well. Uh, so yeah, I, I think honestly, think that was one of the best films of the last ten years. Oh, and what was it? It was um, bodybuilders kidnap a guy. Yeah, yeah. So it's a true story. Two body, well, three bodybuilders are played by Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson, and Anthony Mackie. Uh, kidnaps someone, uh, played by Tony Shalhoub, uh, in order to to take all his money. It's kind of a, a, a bizarre, twisted version of the American dream. But in order to, to achieve that dream, you have to take it from someone else. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, again, it is a true story. 
Uh, I highly recommend reading the article because it's even more insane. Uh, but the film itself manages to capture that zaniness and just be, uh, but how ludicrous the whole situation was. Oh, I think I, I you know, if you, if, if anyone's listening to podcasts, they're like, oh, we listen to those true crime stories. And I think there was a true crime story with a, um, a girl bodybuilder and a male bodybuilder. And they had an assistant or intern move in the house. And then I guess the lady got jealous of the girl and the husband yeah. killed the girl, something they were bodybuilders. But yeah, true crime and podcasts are just best friends, you know, yeah. <laughs> but to, but to make, but to make a movie where you'd want to go see the movie and go pay for the tickets. I mean, that takes skill. I mean, that takes skill. Yes. Like, you have an incredible team to pull it off because you can get your true crime on podcasts all day and all night. <laughs> but okay, so I want to ask you, we know you like the Michael Bay uh, and everyone does, especially all those big action films. What would we do? We um, we can't wait to go see them when the theaters open up. We're so excited. So I was wondering, um, do you also have a favorite director? And if you can share one of your favorite directing shots from a movie, that would be fantastic. Sure. Uh, no, my favorite director is um, Martin Scorsese, without a doubt. Um, I think it's a huge influence. Um, I would say the reason why I love him so much is he has the ability to mark, um, to hold the line between style and substance. So every single shot of a Scorsese picture, there is a meaning for that shot, but he does it in the most uh, interest rate, interesting way possible. For some filmmakers are more about substance, some are more about style. He's able to achieve both. Um, and I think, again, I mean, most people will bring up the shot, uh, but the classic one for me is from Goodfellas, uh, where Henry Hill, Ray Liotta, is taking a Lorraine Racco on their first date. And he got this one tracking shot um, as he's introducing her to all these people in the mob. Uh, and what's great about it, uh, not only is it a beautiful shot, but it's also a reflection of her literally being, uh, being pulled into this world. So the camera's following her, being taken further and further into the mafioso world as she's meeting and greeting all these people. Um, and, and yeah, I just think that is with pure Scorsese, someone who does, who tells something, a simple one-liner uh, in the most imaginative way. Um, and it's, it's beautiful for the audience. Yes, that's one of my favorite scenes too. And, you know, I'm Italian. And so Italian directors, Martin Scorsese, you know, Frederico Fellini, all those guys. And when you see a scene like that, like you said, it he balances the story and the style. The fact that, like you said, just her going down further and further through the back door in the kitchen, it, it, like she's she's going into this do this mop, like you said, like this this world. She's now being drawn into this world, and the way it's shot so beautifully, you know, like. She's no longer Dorothy from Kansas anymore. She's gonna be with the she's gonna be with the wild bunch pretty soon. I mean, <laughs> I so it's gonna be a whole different world. Yeah, a beautiful directing, beautiful, amazing director. And um, so I want to ask you. So where did where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Hong Kong or where did you grow up? Uh, no, actually, I grew up in London. Uh, so yeah, grew up in London, watching a lot of Asian cinema. And of course, um, and of course, Hollywood movies. Um, and just, I just indulged as much as I could in the filmmaking world. I literally, when I was 14, started a DVD franchise so I'd have an excuse to watch movies and then sell them on. 
you had um, a DVD franchise because oh, wow, that's inc- you, you just you just uh, that's incredible. You started your own business when you were a young kid. Yeah, yeah, when I was fourteen, which was great because it helped pay for my education. Also, but yeah, I had a DVDfanatic.co.uk, DVDloon.com, DVDmad.com. Basically, any word that means insane, I was uh, I was purchasing the domain name <laughs> and, and just selling lots of movies and shows. So you were in the dot-com craze, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Oh, wow. So you had, so you had yeah. all these names and you were selling DVDs. So then now, like, how was that for you, like, the transition between DVDs? Um, we went from cassette tapes to DVDs to Blu-ray to streaming online. Yeah. Your phone. Yeah. That's a big shift, yes. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I was running it um, originally as DVDs, then then turned to Blu-ray because I realized Blu-ray would be the future, not HD DVD. And then when streaming came along, I decided to sell the business because I thought I can't compete with Netflix. Uh, That Netflix would become something big. This was back in 2013. Uh, Netflix would become huge and my profit margins are shrinking. So I might as well set out uh, and do something else. Uh, and I'm grateful to have done that because now it just uh, pushed me further to go and push full time into filmmaking. Wow. So you're 14 and you have this DVD business. Did you go to college in London? Like, um, what was your steps to become uh, a filmmaker? Yeah, it's a strange thing. I, I went to uni, yes, uh, to Manchester and Liverpool. Uh, my background was actually I was trying to do the business side. So I did a master's degree and an MBA. And at the same time, I was making films. So I was making a bunch of shorts. I was producing a feature. Um, I was trying to do everything I could on the creative side while taking that academic ed- uh, education. Um, and then in terms of going full-time into film, what happened was I started a career in finance, but I was trying to focus on the film side of it. So film finance uh, or uh, managing relationships with people in the film business and so on. And so I'd be talking business uh, looking at uh, reviewing films and TV space, deciding what to invest in and so on. Um, and then from that, gaining the knowledge of what was going on behind the scenes, as in as a, what type of projects are safe, what type of projects would you want to promote invest in, and so on. And then using that knowledge to decide what projects I wanted to make. Uh, and I think that that was uh, very fruitful and it led to me doing what I do now. Oh, amazing. And so... So you went to college and you started making feature films. What was your first feature film? Uh, so I made a feature film called The Escort. Uh, so it's a romantic drama uh, about a young man who tries to convince an escort to quit her job. But she's no damsel in distress and he's no saint. Um, and the film is, I mean, the film is out in the US on Amazon Prime, Blu-ray, DVD, etc. Uh, it was just released in the UK this week, uh, I think three years later. Uh, and it's getting both a U.S. stage adaptation and an Asian remake. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And and I want everyone to know, like, um, that you are the. When did you create Phoenix Waters Productions? Because you are the CEO of that. Yeah. So I formed that in 2015. Uh, originally, it was in London, and then I expanded to the U.S. and then set up an office in Hong Kong uh, for the Asia Hub. So so how did you? Okay, so you're you're this kid in college at uh manchester where is it liverpool manchester for maths and liverpool for mba but no i'd graduated already when i started phoenix waters okay and then so how did you pick the script did you write it did a friend the escort uh, who 
How did you? So I actually wrote it. Um, I was inspired. So the reason I chose this subject matter um, is I was inspired by a conversation with an actual escort. She was trying to sell her services to me <laughs> while I was waiting to meet someone. And then I obviously declined. But we did have a conversation, a very innocent conversation. And, and she seemed quite cultured. Um, and so it just made me want to better understand why, uh, why women go into that line of work. I mean, besides the money, of course. Um, and so I did lots of research. I interviewed um, real, uh, real sex workers and then went about trying to, to write this story. Um, and I wanted to do something that was socially conscious. It's something I've been doing um, throughout my life is trying to get engaged in anything with regards to gender equality. Um, so, for example, the UN's He for She campaign, which Emma Watson founded, um, I was the co-chair of that for Barclays Group in the UK. Uh, so I want to do something that was trying to understand women and especially a segment of women that are typically ignored, which is sex workers, and trying to give them a voice. Uh, and so, we, yeah, I went about uh, writing this film, uh, trying to bring producers on board uh, to help me with my own first feature. Uh, I've been bringing in the bringing in the cast and and making the movie. Uh, unfortunately, did well. I mean, I won a di uh, directing and screenplay awards. Uh, both my actor and actress won awards. Editor got nominated. Cinematographer got nominated, and so on. Um, and it's and it's really taken off, which is great. Yeah. So you wrote this and directed this and produced it, right? Yeah. It was very much a passion project for me. And yes, I did all that. At the same time, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am without the team. Uh, so everyone on board, the cast and crew were absolutely phenomenal. They all believed in this project. They all wanted to make it the best they could. Um, and so they worked uh, tirelessly, relentlessly to make this movie the, the film it became. Right. So the, right. So the Escort is, um, is, global, is a global award winner. And um, that, yeah. that's your directing debut, right? My feature debut, yes. My feature directing debut. Right. It's amazing. And you said um, the escort is currently being adapted in the U.S. for the for the stage. stage. So on yeah. the Broadway? No, not Broadway, off Broadway. Uh, so yeah, a, a theater producer watched the film. Uh, we loved it, so he reached out, um, and then we we got talking, um, and he worked on adapting it for the stage, uh, which is something I'd always planned to do at some point. Uh, but it was great to have someone with uh, I think with over thirty years of experience. Uh, looking to do that and then at the same time we're getting an Asian remake as well that's amazing that is amazing congratulations we're so happy for you and so all our audience is going to like be on their the edge of their seats waiting for the escort coming to is it going to off off Broadway so I'm assuming in New York this is going to um go to the New York right that's the, plan, that's the hope um obviously the pandemic has had an impact uh, but we're still moving forward with a stage adaptation we just have to be cautious in how how we roll it out okay so we're so we're gonna so you graduate college and then you were inspired by this chance meeting with an escort wrote this amazing incredible script with with a heart and a soul and a social impact about a guy who actually tries to help this girl get out of the business right yeah um, but then it shows there's something multifaceted about that but it's not as easy as a knight in shining armor and she's far wiser than she uh, than he assumes. And it really becomes about society's role in the exploitation of women. So how marketing, pornography and so forth all have an influence in men's perception of women. 
um, and, and our toxic masculinity is a, is a product of our society. Yeah, and so I want to ask you on your next um, project, you um, during the in 2020, can we talk about how you partnered with ATV, Asia Television, Hong Kong's yeah. longest running broadcaster behind the Asian version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and Donnie <laughs> and Donnie Yen's Fist of Fury series. And so that's amazing. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's wonderful. I mean, uh, ATB is the longest running broadcaster in Hong Kong over sixty years, and we also did the Jackie Chan Police Story franchise and uh, and so many great shows. Um, and so, yeah, I as part of my own plans, uh, my biggest vision, my biggest goal uh, within Asia is can we resurrect the Hong Kong entertainment industry because it was huge in the eighties, in the nineties, in the early noughties. I mean, you had Internal Affairs, you had Kung Fu Hustle, you had all these great movies being made. Um, which people around the world loved. I mean, it kind of died down. And when you think of Asian cinema today, you think of Korea, you think of Japan, you don't really think Hong Kong. Um, But the talent is still here. So I wanted to contribute towards its resurgence. Um, And so eventually I partnered with ATV, so Phoenix Boys Productions, uh, partnered with ATV, uh, where I would run uh, the creative direction of a studio as its executive producer. So its drama department has closed in 2016, so I reopened that. Um, and then we partnered together along with an asset management firm, YG Capital, um, to film this movie called Lockdown. Uh, and it's a thriller uh, about an actor who enters an audition during this pandemic, and the casting director forces him to pass a series of tests to keep those around him alive. And, uh, and it was great. I mean, we shot around the world, like on location. Um, and we had a, a tremendous cast. Uh, so in the US, we had Sandra Berkeley from Walking Dead, 24 Air Force One, and of course, The Rock. Um, we had John Savage from The Godfather Part Three, Do the Right Thing, The Last Full Measure. Um, we had a two-time SAFTA, so South African Film Awards nominated actress. Um, we had obviously a British cast from movies like Attack the Block, uh, the John Biega film, and, uh, and Mangrove, the new Steve McQueen film. Uh, uh, voice actresses like Alex Ross and Reagan, who plays Glenn Close's daughter in The Wife, and is also voice the lead actress in Dragon Age Inquisition, Assassin's Creed, and so on. Anyway, so it was a genuinely global cast uh, shooting this film, and it was tremendous. Uh, everyone, again, had that passion. And I wanted to tell the story, A, because I thought it's a great thriller, and in this time where everyone's stuck indoors at home, it's good to tell something that's quite international in scope. Um, and two, I was inspired by the passing of my mentor. Um, and at the same time, the George Floyd protests were happening. And what the film does is it reflects the events of 2020 within the structure of a thriller. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so so that's called a lockdown. Is that going to be coming out soon? Yes, so we're coming in post. We should, the trailer was released last week. Uh, so Variety revealed the trailer, um, and uh, we plan to have it completed next month. So we're just finishing the final steps. Okay. Uh, so the idea, we're targeting a summer release. Oh, great. And then, um, so you kind of mentioned a little bit that you, prior to that, like you you worked somewhere and for Barclays, which was a banker for the UHNWIs before um, moving to fund management. So can you... Can yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, my background, I, I worked for Barclays. Uh, initially, it was uh, for ultra high net worths. 
so working as a banker. Uh, and then I moved into funds management, which is where I was trying to get as much experience as I could on the business side of things. So trying to determine what what to invest in, how to manage those funds effectively. Um, you'd look at, you'd have these meetings and you'd get all these film and TV slates and you're trying to decide what's a good project to invest in, just like a studio. Uh, what would be the wise thing in terms of quality and in terms of return on investment? And so it was great to, to look at these projects. Uh, some major titles were part of them that remain part of our lexicon today. Um, and I was trying to use that understanding, that knowledge, in terms of how we'd run my business, how we'd run Phoenix Waters, so that we'd select projects that have high quality and at the same time um, uh, have a good audience, wide audience base for it. That's amazing. Yeah, and then also, um, so you you go from Barclays and you you form Phoenix Waters Wealth Management in Hong Kong. How did you go from London to Hong Kong? Uh, it was, to be honest, it, uh, I actually just jumped here and I made the decision suddenly um, that that yeah. So I went to Hong Kong for a day. Uh, I liked it, uh, and then I went again another time for two days. I mean, I figured, no, no, I think I'll move here. Um, I think I can do a lot here. Yeah, and then I literally, uh, I just shifted over here uh, one month after leaving Barclays. Um, and it's been, yeah, it's been interesting because at the time I moved here, the protests were going on. Uh, but uh, I knew that if I didn't make this move, I'd be regressing it because I feel there's a great opportunity here to do something big uh, for Asian cinema. And I wanted to be part of that. That's amazing. And then so you then you became the CAO of investment management firm YG Capital and you joined the British Chamber of Commerce committees for SMEs and the startups and launched a mentoring program connected to impoverished students with successful mentors, which I really love because, as you know, I, I, I do enchanting book readings, which has hit number one around the world. And I, I want I don't know, Bizan, if you know, but I hit number one in Korea, uh, um, Hong Kong. A lot. Oh wow! Yes. So, um, so I've been trying to make do my best to write kids content that the kids will like in, in Hong Kong and even South Korea. I hit number one, and um, I go for one number one through seven. So I I'm doing my best yeah. to provide this beautiful kids content. And you know, like um, a lot of this, you know, a lot of us are listening to podcasts. A lot of us don't have money yeah. for cable or network or even sure. you know, um, able to yeah. afford to even pay for YouTube or Apple. So. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of kids yeah. that um, parents have said they really appreciate the kids podcast because um, during the lockdown, the kids were stressed out. They're away from their um, their friends. So, yes, yeah, so I love how you work with with people and mentoring programs. And you also have um, this beautiful philanthropy and children's charities in the UK that you are um, on the advisory board of. So you do so yes. many beautiful things yourself. So if you want to share any of that with our audience, they would probably love to hear more. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm really keen, in addition to gender equality, uh, to support children, because ultimately they are, you know, future generation, how the world will progress. And uh, and there's so much inequality. And for me, it's all about just giving those opportunities. Uh, so I sit on the board of uh, Variety, the children's charity in the UK. I'm on the committee there. But, um, uh, we recently celebrated our 70th anniversary. Actually, I was two years back. Um, uh, and, and yeah, it's all about helping disadvantaged children uh, to have a better quality of life. So it might be taking them on a great trip, it might be supporting their, 
uh, getting them a new wheelchair. It's, it's anything that can help them support their lives to be to improve. Uh, and then in Hong Kong, I sit on the Hong Kong arm of it, uh, where we, we formed a, uh, a mentoring program to help these children um, who all fall under the poverty line, but have a tremendous potential with tremendous talents. And we connect them um, with mentors to help them pursue um, their, their, path of, their path of choice. It's really about saying that just because you're born in this, in this way, it doesn't mean this is the ceiling for you. You should be able to achieve anything you want, uh, and we want to support you to do that. Uh, and then also in the UK, I've been sitting on the um, advisory board of Career Ready, which helps young people find work. So again, it's disadvantaged children, disadvantaged teenagers in this case, uh, and we're trying to help them find internship programs and find career opportunities and help them with their university um, uh, entrance, uh, entrances and so on. Wow, you're just incredible. So I want to just let all our audience know, again, please check out the Escort, which is coming out. Can you tell them where they can like find the information, the Escort, real quickly? Uh, sure. It's actually now available on Amazon Prime, uh, both in the UK, it came out this week, and the US. Amazing. And if they want to keep up and see um, what you're working on, where do they, do you have a Facebook page, Instagram page? Uh, yeah, I would say check my Instagram. Um, I've been publishing a lot around lockdown, the, our newest feature. And we've got a couple more projects coming along the way. Um, so one is a remake of Richard Dinklater's Sundance hit tape. Uh, we starred Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. And we're working with the original writer, Stephen Delbert, uh, on this. Um, and we're also doing a drama series, a crime drama series called Forensic Psychologist. Uh, where we're doing both a Cantonese version for Hong Kong and a Western version. Um, and it's about a psychologist who interviews criminals to decide if they are mentally fit to stand trial. Um, and for the Western version, I've partnered with Debbie Mason, who co-founded Kudos, the company behind Utopia, Human 